0: Hello, everybody. My name is Sean. Uh, today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I uh, can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen above me. Uh, this is the word of God. Uh, <clears throat> I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit to the measure of the stature of uh, the fullness of Christ, and so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro uh, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, uh, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful uh, schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from uh, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it, it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God.
1: All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. My name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor here, and I uh, just want to show off a little bit, but I, you know, our I just landed from the airport, or from San Diego today, um, got off the plane at uh, 9.59, got to church at 10.19, okay? Some of you guys just walked in now. <laughs> a little challenge there for you guys, okay? Now, um, one of the things that uh, we do as a pastoral staff is we, we plan our sermon series in advance, and about you know three, three months ago, as we are planning this sermon series on, on the ecclesia, uh, just this idea of speaking out what does it mean for us to be called out with a purpose. Uh, I didn't really know how God was going to direct some of these uh, topics and and, you know just as I was thinking about it and I realized uh, just how appropriate this sermon series is as we're really kind of venturing into this idea of what does it mean for us to be the body of believers? What does it mean for us to be the church? And I think it's really exciting. And, and I think just thinking about ministry going towards, uh, you know, in the future as a church, uh, it's really awesome just to see how God has been moving within our church, within myself, within some of you. And I really believe that there is uh, something special that God is preparing us for. You know, and, and by something special, I don't mean some grand event or, or some, some crazy revival, but I really believe that God is really challenging each and every single one of us to really understand what it means for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of god what does it take for us to really denounce the fleshly part of us the, the, the denounce our sins and really focus on glorifying god and living in obedience to him and i think that really energizes me and i hope it energizes you to really be uh, you know gospel centered and to be witnesses here in the bay area now um one of the greatest shows uh, ever made is a show called The Sopranos. I don't know if you guys have watched it or not, uh, and it, it just came recently to my mind because I rewatched it recently. Um, but if you if you haven't watched it, it might feel a little dated for some of you guys that are a little younger. But if you like shows, you know, give it a shot, right? But one of the things that I found really interesting as I rewatched this show recently, and again, uh, you know, I started um, uh, what is it? Kind of relating to the main character Tony Soprano a little bit, not because I'm a mafia boss or anything like that, but because he's you know mi- middle aged. You know, and he's bald. And, um, but one of the things that was really interesting throughout the show was this idea of how difficult it is for the FBI to bring down the mob, right? Like, if you think about it, like, how powerless are, are these, uh, you know, the FBI agents? Like, they had to go through so many hoops and they had to figure out so many tactics to try to bring down these mafia members. And if you think about it, I mean, these organizations and mafia organizations, they're just pl- hiding in plain sight. Right? They're, they're kind of out in the open but yet they're unable to infiltrate they're unable to bring them to, to justice now one of the main tactics that they use and again this is a show but they try to make it as true as possible one of the main tactics that they use to try to bring down the Mafia is to try to flip mem- members within the Mafia to, to you know infiltrate to become kind of moles and, and, and people that give information about the Mafia because the FBI, they understood that the only way that they could bring this organization down was from within, that they had to bring division, that they had to use people who are already inside that organization, flip them and be uh, you know, informants or people who are willing to kind of betray their boss for the sake of their own, own heads. Now. It's it's not surprising that in many organizations companies um, even countries What is the thing that often uh, is the most detrimental? It's division within the body division from within and I think Satan's one of his main tactics for infiltrating or for bringing chaos within churches within small groups within even families is to Try to be as divisive as possible and so it is no it is no kind of uh, it's, it's no, it's no surprise that a lot of the New Testament writings, the Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers, they talk about unity very quite frequently. And so today, as we talk about the Ecclesia, what does it mean to be called out with a purpose, we're really gonna understand, or we're really gonna dive into this idea and this understanding of what does it mean for us to be united? What does what, what unity within the church actually look like? And what is God calling us towards when he says he wants us to walk in a manner worthy Of the calling in which we have been called so today we're gonna spend the first part understanding the biblical what biblical unity means uh, and why it's so important then we're gonna see the problems of unity what are some things that brings hindrances to our unity and lastly we're gonna see kind of some practical application of what does it mean for us to be called out with a purpose what is the purpose in which we are called how do we practice unity so number one understanding unity and um, if you grew up in the church, you might have experienced this as well. Uh, and once I started becoming a when I started off in pastoral ministry, I would get asked to speak at a lot of uh, you know youth retreats, and 75% of those youth retreat themes would be on the theme of unity, right? One, you know, and be like unity, united in Christ. And you know the reality was a you know a lot of youth group kids there was drama and they all wanted to feel united they all wanted to feel like they were one group in you know, one church they asked me uh, to speak at a winter retreat and the, the, the theme was one, you know and then um, the next next summer they asked me again the theme was community you know and I was like oh, maybe you should stop asking me because I don't think my sermons are helping you guys it's not working <laughs> you guys you guys are still divided right but anyways and I, but I believe it is because through the Holy Spirit. Um, the the New Testament writers they're 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 writing because through the Holy Spirit uh, they're really led to tackle an issue that is very problematic uh, for humanity. We are people who naturally tend lead you know kind of lean towards divisiveness, you know to be contrarian, uh, to be people who kind of rattle the boat or shake the boat, right? We we kind of are like like to play devil's advocate. You know you ask somebody an opinion on something that they've never even thought about. And right away initially the majority of people will head towards contrarianism they'll help to head uh, head towards playing devil's advocate so how serious did apostle paul take the unity of the church very seriously because the entire climax of the book of ephesians leads to his command and exhortation to seek unity now if you don't if you have not studied the book of ephesians before if the book of ephesians is a uh, kind of an easy letter to kind of uh, read and understand because the first three chapters of Ephesians is theological, it's doctrine. Uh, it's, you know, the idea that you're, while you are dead in your sins and trespasses, God made you alive in Christ. You know, you have been saved by grace through faith, it is not through works. You know, it's, so Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, is kind of giving a very clear doctrinal statements and, and ideas and understandings of what it means to be saved through faith, uh, by grace through faith the understanding and just kind of laying out the gospel. And then starting in chapter 4 to chapter 6, so split right down the middle, is now the practical applications on how to apply everything that he has written and taught in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. So in chapter 4, it begins with the word therefore. It connects everything in chapter 1 through 3. And he says, now, therefore, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Right, and the calling in which you have been called is the word it's the root word ecclesia, so he's saying, walk in the manner in which you have been called out. And other theologians and commentators say that a better way to translate that phrase is to say, to, to live as citizens of heaven. To live as citizens not, no longer of this world, but as citizens of people who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, and you would think, as apostle paul writes this letter and he writes all the parts in chapter one through three and then now in chapter four he begins the climax of the the application of it he says therefore walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called and the very next command that you would expect would be the one the, the, the command that he would seem very important a very high priority within the church and what is that command right? he says be gentle be humble bear with one another in love to, so that you may maintain the, with eagerness the unity of the body the f- first exhortation built on everything that he's written from chapter 1 through 3 is the exhortation to maintain the unity of the body because he understands that in this world in this life while we are still dealing with the flesh of sin that one of the main tactics and the main things that we're gonna struggle with is division. And if you read the New Testament through Acts and through the, new, uh, you know, through the different uh, epistles, we see that oftentimes the main struggles within the church is divisiveness. Whether it's in Corinthians, when the Corinthian church says, I am of Paul, and the others say, I'm of Apollos, and the others say, I'm of Jesus. Or even Apostle Peter himself deciding that he's no longer going to eat with Gentiles, and he starts only eating with the Jews. Or Apostle Paul himself doing ministry all over the world, and he no longer wants to do ministry with Barnabas, so he sends him out, and he joins uh, you know, a, a, a new teammate. Right? It's, it's one of those things where we see happen all the time. So he says instead walk in a manner worthy in which you are called walk as citizens of heaven maintain unity now the interesting thing is that he kind of gives qualifiers of how this unity is achieved right he says be humble be gentle bear with one another what that tells me is this like do you know who if if someone tells me hey you got to bear them you know what that means that means i probably don't like them right if someone's like hey like in your relationship you really got to be patient with that person you know what that means they're probably very annoying to me not in re- you know like just to me right or hey in gentleness you need to approach this person what does that mean they're, they're I'm just so fed up with them that I just want to be like hey yo like get out of my whatever I would say right and, and even the word patience is another way to translate it is long suffering If you're seeking patience, it's this idea, are you willing to suffer long to achieve something? So when when we talk about unity, it's not this idea of kind of coming together kumbaya and like, hey, I like you, we're having fun. No, it's this idea of are you willing that even in the midst of your differences, even in the midst of relational difficulties, even in the midst of philosophical differences, are you willing to work with them? Are you willing to live with them? Are you willing to be united with them in community? I think we have to correct our understanding of what unity looks like. I think we have this kind of flowery view of unity within the church and we think, hey, a church is united when everyone loves one another and are and is happy together and has fun together and everyone is friends. That's not what unity is talking, that's not what Apostle Paul is talking about, unity. You know, and oftentimes we come to church and we seek we, we want to be united right as human beings we we want to be united and and again unity he's not talking about even the idea of being united in purpose he's not even talking about the idea of having uh, united uh, united minds together to to achieve something he's not even talking about being united for the sake of a family and friendship right but often when we think about unity within the church that's kind of what comes to mind think hey do we all really like each other are we all willing to like go on vacations together do our do our kids get along do my kids have friends here? do i have friends here? and we we don't think and when we and if that doesn't exist then we go oh you know what i think our church isn't really united. To understand unity, the biblical unity that apostle Paul is speaking about here in Ephesians is this. Together, are we all willing to be gentle with people that annoy us? Are we willing to be patient with the people that test our very last nerve? Are we willing to bear with one another, the ones that rub us the wrong way at every chance? You know, there's some people like that in your lives, right? You know, as a pastor, I have to, like, conscientiously think about that because of the way that, you know, people view me or the way that, I, you know, I come off. But, man, there's some people that just, like, they just drain the, 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 the life force from you, right? And they're not even just doing it. Intention- they're just being themselves. And, and you know, it's, And I talked to Christina, and she's just like, dude, you're a pastor. You know, like, you got to be better than that. And my response to her publicly and to everyone else no, every Christian is called to that, not just the pastor. Every Christian is called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. So redefining and understanding what unity actually means, I think this is absolutely exciting for our church. Because now this is an opportunity for us to really live out and practice what the Bible is calling and exhorting us to be. Not just an organization or a club where we feel like we are friendly and have friendships and and kind of get on. No, this is an opportunity for us to really be sanctified and to be able to model what Jesus Christ has done for us in our lives. think about it the cost of being of uniting us to him meant that he had to suffer long on the cross that he had to be gentle with people who were so rebellious against him that we were willing to to kill him when he came to save us that he would bear with us even after salvation as he sees us continually rebelling and sinning and yet he bears with us and gently calls us back to him that is what true biblical unity looks like now unfortunately the reality is that the church has become a place where unity is ignored uh, for the sake of grabbing lower hanging fruits to please individuals Okay, and I'm going to kind of explain what I mean by that. Because I think there is the difficulty in being united uh, to really seeking biblical unity. And the problem is is that I believe that it's, it's kind of, a, the problem was created within just the Western evangelical church where we were really kind of the attractional model. We wanted people to come and just, hey, come and enjoy this spectacle. Come and enjoy this show. come Come, like, we have good coffee for you. Right? we have a donuts for you afterwards so you can kind of stick around you know hey, hey we have programs for you to to kind of learn and, and grow and and you know feel like you're being fulfilled or feel that you're being fed we have things here where you might feel like you're participating in spiritual activities and you can go back to your uh, you know home in your life for six days and act like nothing ever happened and then come back again you know it's like this idea of come like come 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 we want to help you we want to be a, a church for you what that has created is an attitude and a culture where now individuals and even Christians within the church are fully self-absorbed into thinking that church is for me. And I'm gonna kinda explain what that means. Now, Apostle Paul, as he's writing his letter in 2 Timothy, he's writing now not to a young pastor, he's writing to a seasoned pastor now. And he writes this he says i charge you in the presence of god and of jesus and christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom he says preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching he says this for time ta- for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, when I was younger, studying in seminary, I would read this passage, and the professors would exhort us as seminary students and say, hey, see, there's a, the time is now. There are people who are teaching false doctrine. There are people who are teaching you know, the false gospel. There are te- people who are uh, you know, teaching uh, things that are heretical, and people are just eating it up. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we got to stick to the truth of the Bible. Now, the reality is this. For genuine Christians, is kind of pretty easy for us to know what is true teaching and what is false right and satan isn't that dumb he isn't going to come and and, then you know like all of a sudden instill me with a spirit of false teaching and be like guys jesus isn't the way you know instead just give the church money you know and then i start blinging out and like you know like living in like you know palo alto hills or whatever you know there's you guys will sniff that out and be like i'm out of here what, what, what ends up happening when he's talking about, you know, people will want teaching that are itching their ears is really this idea of, is there a place where I can learn and hear things that really, is this really about me? Just really like, how can my life get better? Or how can I feel more fulfilled? Or how can I feel like I've, I've uh, you know, made my time on Sunday worth it? Was this time worth it for me? See that the false message that Apostle Paul is talking about here is not some evil and nefarious message, right? It's this idea of really turning our own hearts to only our own selfish needs, and thinking that the church exists to fulfill those needs. Now there was a conversation between two pastors, and in this conversation, um, this one pastor says this. He says, both as an academic discipline and as a practice, pastoral care has become obsessed with personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning. What did you expect? I want to ask these people. Quit taking yourself so seriously. Enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the eschatological mission to witness to Christ's cross and resurrection. That's care worthy of the name Christian now just to break that down he's basically saying stop being selfish stop being self-centered and start stop being narcissistic instead understand that you have been called for a greater purpose the eschatological or or the the final consummation of Jesus coming and you being a witness to the people around you of his death and resurrection now, I'm not saying that we, are, we should ignore our own health. I'm not saying that we should ignore uh, some of the spiritual needs that we, that we have. But what has happened is that church oftentimes has become a place where we just want our own very specific needs met. And in a place of, a, of 100, 200 people, everyone has their own specific needs. And each person is grasping at, I want this need met in my life. And another person saying, I want this need met in my life. And it becomes what? A collection of people living independently, wanting their own narcissism appeased. He's saying, and that's not what unity is. We have become a generation that seeks to be cared for with very, respons- very little responsibility to care for others, especially when life is not going the way we want, we immediately announce we are not being cared for. What is the church doing for me? Now, I think for us to kind of combat this attitude is that we have to, we have to understand clearly the priesthood of all believers. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine, it says, "'You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light the better we understand that the work of pastoral care the work of ministering to one another is not just for people with a title pastor it's for every Christian it's for every believer and unity begins not when we ask what can this organization or church do for me or it's what can i do for the fellow members of this body in a way that i can be ministering caring and and loving now i think one of the things that uh really really kind of puts things into perspective is this the people who are only thinking about their own needs um and we're, we're all this way, right? We all think about ourselves first, right? I gotta eat first, right? It, it, it's it's the, uh, what I call the airplane mentality, right? Hey, if, if, the, if you're a parent traveling, they always say, hey, when the, the mask comes, put your own mask on first before you put it on the kids. Now, that's, I think that's correct, but it shouldn't apply to every aspect of our lives. But we do, we do that, right? And, and oftentimes what happens is Once you get so frustrated to the point where you feel like your needs are not being met, it's inevitable that the tactic that you will use is to bring division and divisiveness because we want to feel justified in our frustrations. We want to feel justified in the things that are bothering us. Now, it might not be fully intentional it may not be the, the, the desire and the hope of thinking like, I'm going to bring division within this body. No, but it's just a natural human instinct. When we get frustrated, we, what do we want? We want to be heard. We want to feel vindicated. But the reality is when that happens, what is really going on spiritually is that you're trying to bring people onto your side against an enemy that doesn't really even exist. Why? Because the church, we are one body. To bring division within the church means to bring division within yourself. Now, one of the metaphors that uh, that the Bible uses for the church is that we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Now, here's the thing. Um, people will come up to me and be like, hey, um, I, I came to your church, and I, and I stayed like one or two weeks because of you, but I stayed years because of your wife, you know? Um, and here's like if i go based on what people say to me about my wife she is a saint she is perfect she has no flaws and she's funny okay you know why cuz no one will ever come up to my face and speak bad about my wife you would you would need some like guts Anybody right and and not be, you know, and not that I'm like a physically imposing person. No, just it's just human like natural human decency It would be very difficult for anyone to approach somebody's a husband and be like hey like You're cool, but man your wife she, Like she's a real ball and chain isn't she you know like who who would say that that would be so rude Now the sad thing is, we do that to God. We do that to Jesus. If the church is the bride of Christ, and yet we're willing to speak negatively about our frustrations in a divisive way. Now I'm not talking about you know, calling out things that, hey, like out of love, like we wanna see things improve. I'm not talking about that. When we're willing to do that, uh, do the other of, of just frustration and divisiveness and, and, and complaining and, and and stuff about the church what we're really saying is Jesus your bride not that beautiful not that great now here's my exhortation I'm not and this is you might think okay now so we got to stop doing that no 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 that's not the exhortation at all as human beings here on earth, that's, a, that's gonna happen. Every church you go to, that will happen. Every organization you work for, it's gonna happen. The exhortation is this. We as members of the body of Christ, if we hear someone speaking negatively about Jesus' bride and it doesn't bring us to sadness and tear, if it doesn't bring us to great offense, then we are no better. And when people speak negatively about the bride of Christ, I don't cringe, I don't get angry, because it is an opportunity for us to practice unity. How much greater is it for us, it's a great opportunity for us to be patient, to be gentle, to bear with those that we cannot bear with is an opportunity for us to practice what Apostle Paul says that we are the saints called to do ministry what Apostle Peter says that we are the the priesthood of all believers so that we can minister to one another the exhortation is not for those that are frustrated not for those that are are struggling because we all go through that in our lives right I've done it many times the exhortation is the rest of the body of believers. Why do you stay silent? Why do I stay silent? When instead, we have the great opportunity to practice and preach unity. Now, so this is the, the, the application and, and, the, and the purpose in which we have been called, okay? Um, we really need to reinforce the biblical truth that every member of the church is, church is a priest and a pastor that every member of the church has the pastoral duties of encouragement, of edification, of of rebuke, and of reproving. And it's all of our responsibility, not just those that have the name by title. Now, here's a a biological phenomenon called neoteny. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it completely right. Um, But it's the phenomenon in which uh, an an animal um, retains adolescent characteristics even though they are an adult. The greatest example of this are pigs. I learned recently, um, you know, pigs in a farm, they're all like kind of plump and, you know, they, they don't have that much hair. You know, they're pink. You know, they're kind of cute. They just, because, and then they just sit in the, 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 what is it, the pen and they're on the mud and they just eat food, you know, and that's all they are, you know, and, and so when I... When I thought that uh, there were, you know, I saw a pig in a farm and then a wild boar in the wild, I thought they were different animals. But if you get a pig from a farm and release it into the wild, in three to four months, it grows thick, curly fur. It grows big tusks. Why? Because a fully mature pig is actually the ones that we see on the wild. The lack of challenge and stress is what keeps domesticated pigs like grown adolescents have you ever seen like old clips of like World War II videos or pictures and it's like here's this young man 19 years old going off the battle. I was like what that guy's 50 right and you look at old uh, you know um, yearbooks and you're like how are these high school students even when I look back at my yearbook you know I graduated in the 1900s even when I look at my yearbook I'm like how are these high school kids? And then I look at our high school kids. They're not here, right? I look at our high. I'm like, dude, they look like high school kids. Why? Because the lack of stress, the lack of challenges, it actually makes us not mature quickly, right? So when you see someone who's lived a hard life, you're like, dude, I, I see it on your face, right? <laughs> and then you you see people who are living the posh life, you know, like someone said that celebrities aren't more beautiful than us they just have an easy life and they're just rich right and that's the reality of it and unfortunately we suffer from spiritual neoteny where many of us some of you have been christians longer than i have all right some of you have been christians for like decades some of you can say i was born into the church and yet we act as if we are spiritual infants, unwilling to practice the very things in which God has called us to do. At a certain point, we can no longer say, I need to be trained in order for me to pastor and minister and care for those around me, or I need more uh, 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 Bible studies in order. You guys, we all, if you grew up in the church, you know enough of the gospel. You have enough training what you need to do is actually act and actually minister and actually care for the people God has placed in your midst he says in chapter 4 that he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry every saint has been equipped for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and he says this so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes says rather speaking truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ the method in which Jesus, uh, Apostle Paul says you will mature is that you must speak truth and love he doesn't say just wait around and get trained more no he says speak truth and love you guys you can no longer be children now it may seem like I'm standing up on a soapbox but this is really me preaching to myself as well Our lives have become so much busier in this culture right the demands of our of our careers of our families of of even just you know our our desire for for mental and and physical health there's so many things that are pulling at us to the point where we find very little time to actually care for those around us if that's us in our lives outside of church it's also us in our lives in church where we become very self-centered and we're only thinking about ourselves when Apostle Paul is exhorting us to the truth of God's word in the spirit is that we must care for one another to speak truth and love so that we may grow and mature. Now, ministry and pastoral care and caring for it, it's not easy, okay? I went to seminary for three years, right? All I did for those three years was learn about the Bible and, and learn about what ministry is. And you know what? I still suck at being a pastor because we're human. I cannot put you through a six-week discipleship program and be like, now you're ready. No, ministry is life. Caring for others is part of our life. Are we willing to live lives with one another, edifying one another, encouraging one another? Especially when those that are struggling and frustrated are hard to bear. Let's pray.